are listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I am delighted to be here. And you? Ah, I'm glad to be here as well. Nice. Yeah, it's, um, I think, uh, look, uh, any, any marketer, I mean, it's like, you, know, I have, you just end up rolling your eyes, right? When people say, oh, you know, we have to do um, more with less. It's like, yeah, 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 we haven't been listening to that for 25 years or something. Yeah, water's wet. Right. But it is nice to tell a story about people who are challenged, frankly, with trying to figure out how to do more with less and compete against much bigger competitors, much bigger players, and figure their way through it. Because I do think it is a you know a challenge that a lot of marketers face, particularly early on in their career. I mean, not not everybody's kind of first marketing gig is with uh, Fortune 100, right? For sure. And I mean, you know, when you're saying early on in careers, you can also be talking about new companies as well that are are just kind of getting started, like the, the case of our, our guest today. Yeah. Let's get on with it. So joining us today is Scott Vosberg. Scott is the marketing director at Sierra Olympia Technologies. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Scott. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. Scott, it's awesome to have you on the show. Look, um, first off, why don't you tell us what Sierra Olympia Technologies is slash does, and then we'll get into you. Yeah. So Sierra Olympia builds thermal camera components. Um, some of the bigger companies in our area are Teledyne FLIR, or I guess FLIR is how they're known now, but we build thermal cameras that go into manufacturing. They detect oil and gas leaks. Um, they are often attached to drones and flying around uh, movie sets. Um, all sorts of solutions that, that our cameras provide for a number of industries. Yeah. That's a that's incredibly diverse oil and gas monitoring through to movie sets. This is a, the marketing challenge is already becoming uh, quite obvious. Um, Scott, how long have you been with uh, Sierra Olympia? Uh, I've been with them a little over two years, going on two and a half years soon. Um, before them, uh, my career started in the ski industry. Uh, I was on marketing teams for a ski mountain in the middle in the heart of Colorado. Um, and then I was in Los Angeles freelancing for a number of agencies, kind of in-house and remote. Um, and then I worked at UCLA as a senior front-end developer, building UCLA.edu and their admissions website, and working on their chancellor's website, and a lot of their big-name websites. Uh, then I found myself uh, doing work at Sierra Olympia. <laughs> That's always interesting, the, the path from kind of well, I guess it's not always interesting because there aren't that many people who've done it to kind of move from a pure web development type role to a more marketing and strategist kind of role. How do you think that's impacted your perspective? Uh, greatly. Um, and to be truly honest, I started in design. Um, I went to school for graphic design and my first job was with uh, a window manufacturer in Chicago designing all their pamphlets and print ads. So I started in design and then kind of slowly made that transition into developer and now have, you know, transitioned into marketing director. I think the, the combination of design and development um, really influenced my ability 
uh, in technology and, and my communication with technology. Um, being able to communicate with a designer from a developer's perspective and vice versa, knowing how to bridge that gap. Um, also, as a developer, it's I've gotten the chance to work with a lot of marketers. And so that's kind of branched me into the analytics side, knowing how to track the links that I build, um, you know, knowing the tools that they use. Uh, been diving into a lot more of that end in the past two years than I have been uh, development and design. So it's all three of those aspects combined that have really kind of hopefully given me that edge when when doing my marketing work. I like to be a little contrary on occasion, Scott. So I'm curious, do you, do you ever uh, feel like like there's a, do you ever encounter a situation where you're like, man, that that design or dev background gave me some blinders here. I didn't see this one coming. I'm always curious about people. You know, your, our backgrounds give us a lot of. Uh, uh, you know, uh, advantages, uh, obviously, as we encounter situations, but I'm always kind of curious of the dark side of it sometimes. Uh, yeah, sometimes I, I, I think over my career, I've been very technology heavy overall. And I think that's kind of blinded me a little bit to other aspects like sales. Um, in the past two years, I've had to jump a lot of personal hurdles and working with the sales team where I'm like, oh, if I could only get these team members to use this tech. Um, but it doesn't always work like that. You need to be very flexible with them. If, if they don't want to use the tech, you can't, you can't force them. Their team has, you know, their own way of doing things that are successful for them. Um, so it, it's not always easy to, just because you see the benefit of it, um, doesn't mean that it is actually beneficial for the team and, and the way the team works. Man, I, I wish it was possible to hire, and I say this as a designer who is now primarily a sales guy, I wish it was possible to hire more designers who had more experience with working with sales or maybe even doing sales, because I think it really does give you a very different business perspective than designers are typically taught. And, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're sort of taught to, uh, to think that what we're doing is dramatically improving, <laughs> you know, at some extent of it, dramatically improving humanity, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, sometimes I think that does make it difficult to truly understand business realities. Um, so he's pro you've probably had some really, really fantastic experience on that, on that front, I would think. Yeah, overall, you know, the, the main goal that I think you learn is it's it's a huge team effort. You know, it's no one person. It's it's a good website makes the sales team look good, but a good uh, sales team member drives people to the website. So it's it's a huge team effort. It's it's no one person, you know, even in the small companies. Um, it might be a one person marketing team. It might be a one person sales team, but together, you know, you're a team and and you're all looking for that same outcome. So I want to kind of peel back the the layers of uh, of your strategy here a little bit because, you know, it, it, it seems to me that, you know, Sierra Olympia is what I mean, something like forty people or so. Um, you know, it's a reasonably small company, um, and you're going up against some some heavy hitters. Um, what do you think uh, in the last couple of years has been some of the, the keys to success there? What do you think the, what are the things that you've done to level that David Goliath playing field? 
There's definitely some things in our products, you know, being a small company, we were probably one of the first in the thermal industry to offer uh, IR cameras as components. When you go and shop at some of the bigger companies, um, they're offering uh, fully encased cameras. Some of them are, you know, weather rated, ready to plug directly into your computer or, you know, whatever output you have for a visual screen. Our cameras are some of the first that are like, oh, you're coming to us with a drone. We'll outfit this camera component to fit on your drone so you can go off and, and carry on with your custom projects. Um, so that's been one way that we compete where we've actually seen now some of the larger companies also offer that service. Um, another way is we don't compete with them. You know, we, we piggyback off them. Uh, my company in particular, since we build custom components, uh, we have no problem buying cameras from our competitors that are close to what our customer wants and then adding value to them, outfitting them again for a custom project that you need. So we don't reinvent the wheel sometimes. Sometimes if the wheel's there, we just modify it slightly, give it better treads, things of that nature. I think that's that's really, really interesting. What, you know, one of the things you, you uh, kind of alluded to is this idea of kind of working along, you know, not alongside the competitors, but kind of leveraging some of the things they're talking about in order to uh, to promote Sierra Olympia. How, how are you kind of doing that? Yeah, so our, our website is huge with that. Uh, the content that we create, um, our social media channels, uh, the biggest difference between online and a trade show is we can, we can appear right next to our large competitors online. That's a lot easier for us to do than buying a really expensive booth that we have to build out at a trade show. Um, you know, the last trade show I attended, it was, it was three stories. It was in Washington, D.C. Uh, it was a defense show. Um, I, I'm going to use kind of a bad pun here, but the big guns were literally on the top floor. The helicopters, the tanks, the, the Humvees, all the armored vehicles, you know. Uh, you're, you're tr in, in those cases, these are, you know, multi-million billion government contracts you're trying to compete with. Like, we can't really do that. Um, to get a build a trade show outlet or a trade show booth on that floor would cost us obscene amounts of money. You know, we're on the third floor in the bottom towards the back with a 10 by 10 booth. Um, just so standing out at a trade show is really hard. Um, so one thing that we do is, you know, we try to appear next to them on Google. One thing we've gotten really good at is creating really good content that ranks really high in SEO and appears next to the blogs that are searched with our uh, against the Fortune 500, 100 companies. Um, it's a lot easier to appear next to them online than it is in person. Um, so that's a, been a big advantage to us. The, the internet is the great equalizer, as I like to call it. And this strategy of uh, appearing next to them online makes total sense to me. When you talk about um, uh, a blog content specifically, are you just looking to see what they uh, are already ranking really well for and then just trying to basically add a different lens of value and, and, and hook to it in some way, or are you trying to beat it at its own game? It's a balance. So we'll look at our own keywords and, and look at what we're already successful in. And, you know, we'll 
we'll gear our content towards those keywords. Um, you know, some of the companies that we compete against, they do a lot more than build thermal cameras. They build, you know, thermal cameras that are integrated into drones already. We don't, we don't build drones. We're not trying to compete in the drone space. So I'll go and having a little bit of technology background, I'll look up sitemaps, XML sitemaps, and I'll see, you know, a quick short list of what they've written their blogs in. And I'll say, hey, we can write, you know, something adapted to us on that topic so that when someone searches it, boom, we appear right next to them. Um, you know, that's that's kind of the goal is that's some low hanging fruit that we do, uh, you know, capitalize on our own strong keywords and look at what our competitors are writing about. You know, it, it kind of surprises me a little bit in a category like infrared cameras um, that we're talking about written blog content in a lot of ways. Uh, how varied is your content? Do you still find a, a strong reliance on written or uh, is there more video these days? Um, I, I'm always curious about what people are doing versus what they're finding is working because those aren't always the same thing. Yeah, uh, we do both. Uh, even though I'm a small team, I do have a, a wonderful team member who's our, our, our visual guy. Uh, he does all of our photos, um, edits all of our videos, and shoots all of our videos. Uh, so a lot of times we'll write a blog and, and have a video to pair with it. Um, sometimes, you know, if it's just social media, we have a cool 15-second, you know, thermal image shot that we got. Uh, that we're sharing on on social media, you know, he he takes care of posting that. So it's a lot of both. Um, you know, one of the channels that we use is YouTube. YouTube is is a big attractor of new leads for us. Um, you know, we've had more growth on YouTube in the past six months than any other point in our YouTube history. You know, that being said, Google is our Google search results are are our top. You know, nothing, nothing's going to even come close to comparing to our Google search results. But YouTube is another channel, another route, something to add to, you know, our, our customer funnel. You know, when, when you're talking about creating content that competes with huge competitors, the other, the other problem that you have as a small kind of component manufacturer is that you, you want to talk about all the things that often are also components of the total solution and maybe something that's available to consumers. So you're, you're targeting, you know, defense and, uh, and other manufacturers that want to integrate your units into it, but you're probably also getting a lot of, you know, junk traffic from, from people who just want to buy, you know, a version of this camera on Amazon or something like that. So how do you focus on the things that really matter and filter out that? I mean, you'll never, You'll never be able to completely eliminate it, but how do you filter out that sort of junk traffic? This is where my development background comes in. Um, I was, uh, well, still am, uh, a big WordPress advocate. Um, I used to run, when I was uh, in Los Angeles, I was running a WordPress meetup, and, and I learned a lot just by attending WordPress meetups. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of give that community a, a little bit of a push here and say, if there's a WordPress meetup near you, that's a huge resource for me, or has been in my career. Um, but, you know, attending to those, I, I learned more about how to filter what's coming in on your contact folder. Uh, uh, a Kismet, a WordPress plugin. Uh, it's very cheap. It's not 
an expensive subscription, um, but it blocks tons of spam. You know, there we still get people who are coming through, uh, filling out contact forms manually, um, you know, submitting their sales pitch to us. We're not going to be able to stop that. Those are people who are are just doing their jobs, to be honest, trying to to make a dollar like we are. Um, and and we get some of that, but you know, there, there's tools out there, there's spam stoppers out there that we do use and deploy, and and they do keep a lot of that out of our hair. For clarity, Jeff, are you thinking more about spam, or are you thinking just about kind of buying intent and trying to narrow in on component level buying intent versus consumer intent? Yeah, a little, a little more um, the latter, you know. So I, I, I certainly understand what you're saying, and uh, you know, a Kismet <laughs> has blocked many a spam message for us and our clients as well. It's, it is a great plugin, but I do sort of wonder about you know the consumers who are looking for not what you're selling, but uh, that your competitors might, um, and you know, not necessarily looking for those specific high tech components to integrate with other things. And I don't want to put words in Scott's mouth, but what I will say is when I look at the Sierra Olympia site and I look at some of the content there, it does seem that there's a bit of a scientific or technical skew that may drive uh, some of that weeding out. I don't know how intentional that is. The content on our website, uh, it's geared towards uh, getting an engineer's attention. So, you know, we're a B2B company, Um there are other companies that will sell you a thermal camera that connects to your cell phone. Um, we're not really one of them. Uh, the people who are using our cameras are, are doing science. A lot of them are doing scientific studies, um, pretty professional environments. Um, they're not really hunting scopes. Um, they're not really meant for you to, you know, do your, well, I mean, you could, if, if you want to spend extreme amounts of money inspecting your car <laughs> engine. Um, but, you know, I would suggest uh, other cheaper cameras for the, the daily home use, if that's what you need a camera for. You know, that being said, I think a lot of people come to our website. We don't list our prices. Um, I think that would uh, deters a lot of people from even asking. Um, and, you know, we do get questions uh, that we can tell people uh, probably don't have the experience to plug in the camera and, and work with our camera. Um, and they're pretty uh, beginner questions when it comes to IR. Hey, can your camera see through uh, windows? Um, you know, IR cameras, if you've studied them for more than a few hours, you learn that, you know, they can't see through windows. So there's a there's telltale signs um, of the, the leads that we're looking for and and how that works. I was told this would be more like an x-ray camera, like I was promised in the back of the Superman comics when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't get much of that, but we do. A lot of Bigfoot hunters. That's probably the most of what we get. For real? Yeah, well, we're also located in the, in the Pacific Northwest, so kind of Sasquatch country up here. That's fantastic. I mean, I think you need to have some video uh, showing infrared images of a supposed Sasquatch. Um, this would be a, a huge driver. I, I can't, like, this is just a, this is a license to print money at this point. <laughs> That's always been an idea for a blog to take viral. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you just, just excuse it away too. Say, well, but we're in the Pacific Northwest, so Sasquatches are a thing here. Like, like it, it, makes, it makes total sense. Oh, my goodness. Okay. 
Okay, back back to the eye on the prize here, Jeff. We've got a, we've got a show to run here. We just can't kind of get sidetracked on Sasquatches. We, if we get sidetracked on every Sasquatch that came by, I mean, it, it happens too easily. <laughs> well, we can we can like easily transition that into the next question, you know, because Sasquatches, of course, are reported in the media. Um, your competitors have, you know, at their scale, they're a much different um, access to the media than a startup might. And you mentioned in a bit of our earlier conversation that, you know, you're not able to just call up a Wall Street Journal reporter and, uh, and feed him a byline. Um, it's a little bit more effort than that. So how does that impact how, how you're going to market, you know, kind of that, that access to, uh, to the media to talk about the product and the, the space? You know, that's, like I said, we're, that's where the internet comes back in, the great equalizer. Um, we don't have the money to uh, send lobbyists to Washington. Um, you know, one of our competitors, their government contracts are somewhere around 30% of their revenue. So they're in there working directly with the government, sometimes setting, you know, regulations themselves, like for our, our oil and gas detection camera, uh, for the leak detection camera. You know, we we follow the regulations that they've worked on with these companies sometimes. Um, and that's not to discredit these companies. Like they're just in there working with them and, you know, they're the ones providing the labs and the science and, and that's the access that they get through their contracts and all. Um, we don't necessarily have that. Uh, so the federal government isn't coming directly to us for these cameras, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, we'd be more than happy to sell them cameras. When you don't have that kind of direct access to lobbyists who are helping set the regulations and, and to the media that, to report on that and get, you know, that, uh, the coverage that, uh, that you can get as a large organization is, is significant. And, uh, you know, that often leads to additional interest in sales that you just can't buy necessarily. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, and I'll be honest, the first year that I started here, they, they, the company that I'm at um, did spend money on a commercial that ran nationally. And, you know, we didn't see much benefit from it. Um, it it kind of wasn't worth our purchase at the time because uh, we weren't able to pair it with, uh, you know, more media buys. Um, someone that we compete against, you know, I've seen them. One of their marketing directors, uh, you know, like hosted on the Today Show. Um, and then they have, you know, a 15 second clip on the, the news that night on the same channel. Um, you know, we don't have access to that thing, to, to things like that. Uh, we can send out something on the EIM press wire, you know, which will go out to a couple hundred local news websites. Um, but that doesn't seem to be as effective. And the question that I have uh, that I would love to to know if uh, is if the bigger companies actually see return on that. How do they track that? How do they know um, that that's something that's monetizable for them? Um, you know, even at the the larger institutions that I worked at, like UCLA, I was a web developer there, um, but they're on the news all the time, and I never really got insight into how that was tracked or or returned to the school. Yeah, it's interesting because I think sometimes for when when you're working with a one of the smaller competitors in a space, the assumption is is that everybody that's bigger 
uh, has more sophisticated marketing attribution uh, and is measuring the impact of a variety of things in a more intensive way. I've actually found very often that the opposite is true. There's the people that are trying to do more with less money that actually have their attribution sorted. They tend to be a little bit more digital in nature, which lends itself more to measurement. And the larger competitors, sometimes uh, with that comes a, uh, a larger tolerance of uh, lack of measurement in, in, in certain instances, right? And, and, a, and a greater um, uh, inclination towards, well, we've just always done it. Like we've always sent out a press release, so therefore we continue to always do it. I don't. I, I know this isn't your podcast, and I was supposed to answer the question, but you know, I figured I turned about <laughs> with fair play there, Scott. I'm curious as we uh, as we kind of approach the the end of our time together. I'm, uh, I, I'm look. This this may go nowhere, but I'm 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 assuming like you know, two years in, two plus years in in, in a company that's small and nimble like this, and and and, and hungry, trying to grab market share. There's got to be something along the way where you had to work kind of hard to convince people to do it. Like, it can't uh, can't have all been like, oh yeah, no, Scott said so. So I'm wondering, does anything jump out as, look, man, it took a lot of convincing, but that was a real home run. Like where the juice was really worth the squeeze on that convincing. Absolutely, it was uh, the investment in the website. Uh, you know, when I was hired, they expected a new website in the first three months. Um, and it took time to be like, Hey, it's going to take a little bit longer than three months. Like we have some brand work to do. You know, there's, there's some style guidelines that we need to meet to ensure that this website looks good. And then, you know, we need to really make sure that the, the sales pages we're making are sales pages that are needed, that pages that are, people are looking for. Um, you know, so we had to balance out what our, what our market solutions were. Um, write that content and have a design all before we even started to build a website. Um, and then when we built the website, the website build went fast compared to some website builds I've been a part of. It was efficient and on the cheaper side. Um, and it's a highly effective website that's been, you know, growing in leads for the past year. Well, it's been launched a little over a year now, um, but it's been growing in leads every month. Uh, it's been a great, huge, effective tool that, you know, took some patience, but has now been very much worth it. That was really the sell job then, wasn't it? Is the encouraging of the patience, like something, uh, something that worth having isn't going to be built in six weeks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's that Venn diagram of, you know, do it fast, do it cheap, you know, do it well. <laughs> I, I, th I always find the, the first time I ever saw that was on the wall of the first print shop I ever used. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, struck by its absolute honesty. It's just perfect. But, uh, you know, one of the most, I'll say over the years of, of working with B2B manufacturers, you know, one of the most common things that we've seen, especially with new marketers coming on stream within those teams is that they're often tasked with the website. You know, it's, it's usually it, it's not uncommon for it to be the first kind of thing that needs to be needs to be worked on, whether that was known when that person was hired or or that marketer came in and went, oh, guys, we got to rebuild this website. This is terrible. Um, do you have any advice for people that don't have someone like you on staff to kind of lead 
the the development and design of that you know someone without the technical chops what what would you say to somebody who uh, is looking to hire somebody to to do that work for them yeah i would say um you know you don't need a, a perfect website to rank well on google there's a, a tool called lighthouse scores um you know and it, and it divides your website into four different categories i believe it's uh, performance, SEO, accessibility, and best practices. Um, and so if you can find a developer that knows how to, you know, get green high ranking scores and, and all of those, you're, I would say that's a good start to being in good hands, you know, and there's always tools that you can measure your, the performance of your website. There's Google analytics, there's Google search council, um, you know, learn how to read the numbers, um, in those tools and, and you can judge how well your website is performing. Um, you know, other than that, it's, it's, I spent a lot of my time Googling. Um, you, you, there's a lot of words in the web industry, um, that you just start learning the definitions of, and you can start putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And, you know, there's no one clear, direct way online, but there's, there's a lot of ways to do it. John, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. It's been fun to uh, kind of explore what uh, what Sierra Olympia is doing and um, and kind of uh, look at this kind of uh, David versus Goliath uh, story a little bit. Uh, and uh, I'm excited to see where you go with it. Uh, I think the uh, the next two years will be even cooler for Sierra Olympia. Thanks so much for sharing the experience with us. Yeah, it's been great to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, great to chat. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.